that much. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. We're going to delve into our next installment of Christian character building. And we have an outline, or not really an outline, I should not say, just some blanks to fill in over the next four weeks concerning our topic. And we have a couple ushers coming down the middle aisle. I appreciate them handing out many of them before. Maybe you grabbed them. We had them sitting in the back. But if you need one, I'd encourage you to get their attention. They're going to turn around and make their way. Thank you, John and Cliff, for doing so. And uh, just uh, gives you a little uh, something to hang on to the next few weeks as we we look at the title, you'll see it up here. The next Christian character building topic is determination. Determination, uh, seeing things through, getting it, being determined to understand that uh, a little opposition is not going to slow me down. And so we finished up personal responsibility. Boy, so important. I, I think this is the next important installment, next important characteristic that you and I as believers can develop and we as parents, grandparents, can try to instill in our children and in our grandchildren. So determination, let's get right at it. We want to define it in this way, all right? If we can have a definition, a working definition, we might call it, it's this. It's purposing to accomplish God's goals in God's time uh, regardless of opposition. Okay, so there's a couple blanks right off the bat. Purposing to, purposing to accomplish God's goals in God's time regardless of the opposition. And to answer or to add to this, we're going to answer this question, how do we maintain determination? Because one of the realities is that some people start off like what we might describe a house of fire and then they fizzle out. When it comes to tasks, responsibility, things to get done, they have great determination. You name it, whatever the task may be, and you can apply it personally to your own life. And boy, I'll tell you, it is a characteristic that seems to be in short demand nowadays. We have a lot of people that try stuff, don't stick to it. Uh, so stick to itiveness kind of falls with this determination. I'm going to accomplish God's goals in my life in God's timing regardless of the opposition. And so we'll talk about these next four weeks how you and I, young people, how you and, and even us older saints can maintain determination. Ancient China and many of its individual cities uh, were greatly wealthy at different times throughout history. But at one time, they were wealthy, especially, almost primarily, solely due to one industry alone. That was the silk industry. Uh, many, many years ago, in fact, it was reported as early as 26 B.C., 2600 B.C., excuse me, 2600 B.C., that China and Chinese people in certain cities uh, had discovered the technique for softening a cocoon, and in doing so, they located the filament end of the silk that it's called, and they were able to unwind the delicate material. Pretty amazing. If you've ever looked at a cocoon, you'd have to imagine well, how in the world did they come up with that? How did they do that? A cocoon from a moth and a butterfly, specifically moth, really. And uh, how did they do that? Uh, they then take several of those strands that they were able to unwind and bind them together to form a single stronger thread of silk. And it became a very exclusive industry, one they had a monopoly on that caused the Chinese people to become very, very wealthy. And so they were going to protect it. In fact, at one point, they had, the, uh, they had issued a death penalty for anyone uh, that would uh, try to take eggs or silk worms out of the country. <laughs> So if you were found with them, you 
were put to death. If you tried to take them outside of China, they'd put you to death. Well, they couldn't keep it up forever, and they were unable to maintain the monopoly uh, on the industry. And one of the things that people point to historically in the fourth century, and uh, uh, a Chinese princess carried some eggs out of the country in a headdress when she married a man from a medieval Islamic center uh, of culture and trade. And then from there, someone discovered the eggs, and they spread and things like that. Love always gets in the way. No, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke, folks, okay? But no, and that's how they're monopolizing. And all of a sudden, it spread the years after that, and, and others produced silk and things from that. Quite interesting if you think about it and how that came to be. What's interesting, you and I here in America, we have a, a, a species of the silkworm, and uh, it, it's the Cecropia moth, the Cecropia moth, very beautiful moth, and one of the largest in North America, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it is a gorgeous moth, and the cocoon that it produces is made out of silk, the, the substance that even the Chinese would take and so It can be, obviously, that cocoon, you've probably seen it, being in trees and bushes. Some people have grabbed them, thrown them in a jar, brought them inside, right? And uh, uh, maybe some uh, kids here have looked for the moth for their bug project. I know there's some starting already, right, for the school year and things there. Um, it, it is a moth that is about five to six inches wide, so it's large. It has the four major uh, stages of development that a lot of moths do and so forth, and that, and that being the, the egg, and then on to what's called the larva, which is the caterpillar stage, essentially the pupa, and which is the cocoon stage, and then also the adult stage, which is the moth that we think of. Well, in that larva or caterpillar stage, it's kind of interesting, it feeds continually, okay? You might even call the caterpillar gluttonous, all right? If you ever notice one of the caterpillars, they just eat and eat and eat and eat, and uh, they do that, they grow rapidly, and obviously as it r- grows rapidly, one of the things that that uh, caterpillar does, it actually sheds its skin, it molds. What's interesting, it does it many times. Now, mom and dad, aren't you grateful that when your children grow, they don't molt? That would stink having skin laying all around the house, wouldn't it? Some species, you know how often they do it? Ten times during the caterpillar stage. That's a lot. You think about that eating and molting and eating and molting and so forth. Uh, it's kind of crazy. And eventually the caterpillar will then set as it's eaten enough and it reaches that season of life and season of the year begins to spin its own cocoon. Now, this is amazing. Listen up. Have you ever wondered how it has done that? If you're a science teacher, you might already know. But if you, or if you studied it and you watch National Geographic, and uh, I think somebody was insulting my sermons. They said, National Geographic Sunday night. And so, no, that's not really true. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, maybe you know what it is. This is interesting. Listen to how it does it. Two glands emerge from a single opening located on the caterpillar's head. Um, from those glands, the larva emits a liquid. So catch this. It's a liquid which, when it is exposed to the air, it hardens into two silk strands. When that happens, a second pair of glands in the head secretes a gummy substance, which then cements the two threads together. Because the moth's cocoon is large and requires massive production of silk, these glands that we just talked about, they literally comprise up to one-fourth of the total body weight. And it's crazy if you think about it. That'd be something to see, though, if you could look at it under a microscope or whatever the case may be and see it secrete that and then the other gummy substance, uh, substance that makes it together. Now, here's probably, I think, the most amazing things about these moths is this. The silk glands in its, heads, in its head are capable, get this, of producing two to 3,000 feet of silk. I mean, that's almost a half a mile of silk. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, get out of the way, Spider-Man. The moth is more cool than you. 
I mean, that's pretty amazing. He can do that secreted and make up to two to 3,000. That's, that's just crazy. Yeah, almost half a mile. Yeah, and now when you think of a, a, a moth, that, that caterpillar larva stage and going in the pupa stage, the cocoon stage. What's amazing about that, sometimes you think, well, it's just dormant. It's not doing anything. Actually, what's amazing is during that stage, probably the greatest transformation takes place, the metamorphosis, right? The idea of it changing. So things that are going on inside of that, it's growing adult legs, wings, even a new type of mouth is produced and grown, formed. A new muscle system is developed. Some new organs are formed. What it tells us is this, and this is really the key about this Cecropia moth is that through every stage, whether it be egg or the larva slash caterpillar or the, the, the cocoon stage and then onward to the adult stage, it faces struggles all along the way. These struggles, though, are important. They're necessary, and uh, whether that's molting or whatever the case may be, because it enables future success. Every struggle propels it on its way towards the ultimate achievement of, of what it'll be, a moth, and how it produces a, in that beautiful moth that we see that's five to six inches wide, just gorgeous. But every struggle is a part of producing that. So key. It's witness in the story that many of us have read before, maybe we've seen, or maybe we've participated. Let me just describe it this way. A small child is watching a cocoon. They found it in the yard or on a tree or whatever the case may be. Maybe they brought it inside the house and, and they're watching it. And all of a sudden, one of those instances where they're watching it, the top of the cocoon begins to break and they're just excited and this is a, a, a wonderful thing. It's finally happening and maybe they gather others around and the moth, it begins to see that moth force its way out and it can notice the struggle and so forth and that child moved with compassion for that moth uh, decides to help and it reaches down and, and breaks some of that cocoon apart and takes off a little bit more off the top just to make it easier on the moth and having a little bit of compassion we might in his mind he might think. So he helps, and he reaches out. He widens the opening, and in doing so, the, uh, the time comes when the moth fully escapes the cocoon, and he, he's there, and the boy's all excited because now those wings should spread out and no longer confined and constrained to the body of that, that caterpillar, and now the moth, it, uh, those wings should slowly uh, expand. And yet as he continues to watch, it doesn't happen. Those wings, both wings, don't flutter they remain shriveled uh, compacted against the body nothing much happening see what the boy does not realize is that the struggle to release itself from the cocoon was an essential means of developing the muscles needed to move blood flow throughout its body into the wings so that then the muscles are strong enough to move the blood through the wings. And then once it escapes the cocoon, the wings are able to expand, extend, and in its full glory as we see even in the picture here, and then fly away. You see, in trying to help the, the moth, the boy has sadly crippled it for the future. Uh, and yet the moth at the same time has taught that young boy a very valuable lesson. It's about determination. And that determination, we might say, and there you see the picture of the cocoon. I meant to uh, slide that earlier. See the cocoon and the caterpillar and things there. But the important lesson about determination, what is determination maintained by? It's maintained by realizing that present struggles are essential for future achievement. Present struggles are essential for future achievement. In this room, we have some seniors in high school, amen? Okay, loud and proud seniors because you really know, don't know what your year holds, amen? <laughs> and, but it's coming, it's a great year. We trust the Lord will bless you in that way. But you know what? 
you seniors, you see school a whole lot different than the first grader, (laughs) than the second grader. The second grader needs to be reminded that the struggles of the present day are setting them up for future achievement. You seniors are on the cusp of that. You're on the threshold of realizing, I've just put in 12 years, maybe more for some, um, uh, to achieve this accomplishment, this future achievement. It comes through struggles, everyday present struggles. Now listen, this is all of life. I have stressed before, and some people don't necessarily like it, but the reality is this. The Christian life is full of struggles. It is work. It is hard work, and it it takes saying, okay, there's going to be some present struggles so that I can see little victories and then big victories down the road, future victories, if you might say. So it takes, Christian life takes much determination. If you're going to be a godly young man, a godly young lady, it's going to take some godly determination. It's going to take you having a realization that these struggles today are going to set me up for future achievement. Uh, It may be standing up against friends who don't stand for righteousness and holiness. It it, it may be just the idea of walking alone at times, but you have a determination that's going to do it. Hey, Christian adult at the workplace, the fact is this, standing up, praying at times by yourself, witnessing, standing up for truth, it may be a present struggle, but God is going to use that for future achievement future blessings, if we could describe it as such. You see, spiritually, we need to have such determination in our lives. What does it rest upon? Well, certainly Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, all things work together for good to them that are called, uh, to them who God loves and are called according to his purpose. We get that, all right? Uh, The fact that it's going to work together, everything in my life, the struggles, the good things, that's going to work together. But you add to that James chapter 1 and verse number 3, right? What does it say? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith description is a struggle. It's going through a difficult time, but it will produce something. And then you let patience have her work and so forth and so on. We understand that. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said this, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Hardships, struggles often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And my friend, God has some extraordinary things in plan for you. So why Paul said what? Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So keep on keeping on. Have a determination that things are not going to sidetrack you. They're not going to distract you. They're not going to trip you up. I like uh, what Peter said. Remember what Peter's description, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he said this, But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, you're going to go through struggles, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Man, that is a great truth and a great presentation. You know, the simple reality is this. Do not miss it, okay? We're making an application now. We'll get to the biblical example in just a moment as we've seen the example from nature and the necropia moth. Get this, okay? The reality is that every time you and I face struggles and, and hardships in our life, we basically have one of three choices to make. We have a choice to make. We have one of three decisions to make, I should say. We can choose to allow it to define us. We can choose to allow it to destroy us. Or we can choose to allow it to strengthen our determination to keep on going in the strength of the Lord. 
So I don't know what your struggle is tonight. Hey, young person, for you it may be school. It may be a particular uh, uh, class. Or it may be, you know what, there's this classmate, there's somebody in my life that just I, I'm having a hard time getting along with. And the reality is that it's a struggle. I get it. Maybe for some of us as adults, we're going through a specific situation, and it, boy, is it a struggle. And we're trying to act godly. We're trying to conduct ourselves in such a way that it's pleasing to God in the midst of this struggle. And the fact is, we have a choice. Either it will define us or it will destroy us. Or, my friend, we can determine that I'm going to be strengthened in the midst of it. And I'm going to keep on keeping on for the Lord. I'm going to come on the, out on the other end of this struggle, and I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be better, even as, as Peter really put it. The reality is, boy, I, I, I'm going to be better on that side than I was going into it. Paul chose the last of these three. Paul had a determination in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says this, Therefore, after understanding God gives grace and, and so, so forth, he says, Therefore I take pleasure. Now that's a great statement, isn't it? We've talked of it before. I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities in persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I take pleasure in it. Literally, he said, man, I take pleasure in it because I understand my weight. Now, let's put it into three statements that we can take with us this week. Let's just boil it down to practicality. Then we'll see a biblical example of that. Just like that moth goes through cycles and stages of life and struggles. Can I tell you this? You know, wouldn't it be nice if you hit age 45 and there's no more struggles? Older folks, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be great? You hit the stage, hallelujah, no more struggles. I just look back and advise and counsel the young people. Can I tell you, I wish it were so, but it ain't so. Many of our older saints here who have been faithful to the Lord can, could, could stand up and tell you, you know, the Lord has been faithful through it all, but life has been full of struggles. And yet God has been faithful. And I've been able to maintain a determination that I'm going to keep on keeping on. So let me give you three statements that I think would help us to handle struggles every day. Number one, the first statement is this. Struggles are the doorway to strength. Struggles are the doorway to strength. In essence, that is exactly what Paul said. When I am weak, then what? I'm strong. In the Lord, I'm going to lean on him. He's going to help me through the struggle. When I am weak, I am strong. So struggles are the doorway to strength. When we experience the weakness, as Paul put it, of infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses in our living for the Lord, then they become the doorway to supernatural strength at work in us. Paul saw it. Paul said, as a believer, man, we have the best of it. Because as I go through struggles, the fact is this, if I have a good outlook, then I will understand that struggle is the doorway to strength. We would also say, certainly in the context, it's the doorway to grace, as Paul puts forth there. You know, that's exactly why in the verse, what does he say? I will take pleasure. I will glory, he says in the same passage. I'm going to glory in my struggles. Now, that's crazy. Why is that? Because he realized that struggles were the doorway to strength. Do you realize the struggle that you're going through right now may just simply be that doorway that God wants to bestow more strength on you? That you'll come out, how does Peter put it? That you'll come out established, settled, <laughs> strengthened after you suffer a while. My friends, struggles are the doorway to strength. And 
You know what I like about Paul? He says, I'm ready to walk through that door. <laughs> I'm ready to face struggles. I'm going to glory and I'm going to take pleasure in them. Number two, this is key. Young people get a hold of this. Not only is struggles the doorway to strength, but number two, my response to struggles in my life is always more important than the struggle itself. My response, literally that choice of how I'm going to handle it is in my life is always more important than the actual struggle itself. Because my choice to let it define me, destroy me, or strengthen my determination is really the most important thing about the situation I'm going through right now. Recall the reminder from last week. Remember what I encouraged you about that your outlook will often determine your outcome. Okay, that's true because the fact is this, your outlook will determine your choice. Will this define me or will it destroy me or is it going to be something that I, uh, in my determination, is going to strengthen me? Here's what I found out. And young people, I can guarantee you some of the older saints here could testify to this. In the midst of a struggle, you think that, man, this, I'll never forget this. This is the worst thing. I can't believe I'm going through the struggle. And boy, you're crying out to God for it and so forth. But you know what I found? Man, in life, just around the corner comes another struggle. And often those struggles, um, is, those struggles are fleeting. Well, is the struggle of this year may not be the struggle of next year, but this thing I do know, though the struggles may be fleeting, the impact of my response to that struggle is not. The choice I make today in the midst of the struggle will have lasting implications. If I have a determined, or if I allow it to destroy me, boy, it's going to affect me for years to come. It's going to impact me. It's going to be a lasting impact on my, my life. We have to choose constantly to say, no, wait a minute. In the midst of this trial, this struggle, it will not define me. It will not destroy me. It will strengthen my determination to keep on keeping on for the Lord. A resolution. Paul had it. Man, Paul had it. A resolve. Say, no, 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 this won't destroy me. This is not going to define me. I'm not going to be known as, oh, poor Paul, because he did this. Poor. I, I love that. Paul does not present himself as some people who all they can do is tell you everything that's wrong in their life and seldom seem to remember the blessings of life. And they just let it flow. And, and poor Paul. No, that's not what we read in the New Testament. You know what we find? Man, blessed Paul. Isn't it amazing that we read about Paul and most of us would want to be like Paul? We want to be part of his life. But man, he had a whole lot of trials, didn't he? Struggles. But he didn't focus on that, did he? He shared it, but he only shared it to say, boy, God's grace is sufficient. This is a doorway. This struggle is a doorway to strength. He reminds us time and time again that my response to struggles in my life is always more important than the struggle itself. Then number three, add this to your list. Number three, struggles of today must be viewed as the stepping stones of tomorrow. See, determination says, you know what? There is some opposition I'll face. There's some struggles I go through today, but it's going to lead to future achievement. Struggles of today must be viewed as the uh, stepping stones of tomorrow. I believe wholeheartedly this was Paul's resolution, his resolve, his determination. And it comes out clearly through his epistles. To put it another way, today's struggles are the means of tomorrow's triumphs. Today's struggles are the means of tomorrow's triumphs. When we have the right outlook, when we understand that struggles are the doorway to, to strength, boy, I can view this struggle today as a stepping stone for the future. And my, how that will allow grace to flow. Paul wasn't the only great hero of the faith that have left us such a, a heritage. 
of applying these three things and being a determined Christian. Now we turn our attention to Acts chapter 6, where I asked you to look to a moment ago. In Acts chapter 6, we come face to face with one of the great heroes of the New Testament church. My goodness, the more you study him, the more you fall in love with him, and you're grateful for his heritage and his testimony. Look at verse number 1. Let's read there first, if you will. Verse number 1, Acts chapter 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay? Hold that thought. I'll comment on it in a second. Look to verse 7. This kind of concludes just the the little context of, of that paragraph, if we might put it this way. Verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now listen, here is the first church. Here they are, and boy, they're, they're just motoring along God's blessing, adding to them. And we come to Acts chapter 7, and verse 1. You know what we have? A church with an issue. <gasps> a church with a problem. The Grecians said, wait a minute, we're not, we're not getting taken care of. We're not getting waited on. It's not the same. Now, the Grecians, let me explain. Who were the Grecians? They weren't actual Greeks. They were Hellenistic Jews. What's a Hellenistic Jew? Well, it's those who, Jews who have adopted the Greek culture and way of living. And so they were Jews, but they were called Grecians or Hellenistic Jews. And so they were part of the church. Some have been saved. They, they even there had different synagogues, some for the Hellenistic Jews, some for the, the, the strict uh, Judaizers or, or Jews and things like that. And so you would find different synagogues even based upon that. But understand, that's what, what's happening. And listen, here's a struggle. Here's a problem. Issue. Listen, we have just gone through three or four or five months now of one of the great problems a church could ever face, right? With this pandemic and everything else. Churches have problems and issues. And as we just said, the most important aspect of it is how you handle it. How you take that struggle and how do you use it to make the church stronger? My prayer is the same thing for Fostory Baptist Church. Whenever we have an issue, a problem, uh, that it would help and move us to strengthen us. That it would be used of God to strengthen his church. Look, how do they handle it? Well, the next few verses, they say, listen, we got to take care of this problem. we got to address the issue. And so they look out seven men, seven men full of faith and full of wisdom. And, and they were looking for seven men who weren't afraid to serve behind the scenes. They weren't afraid to, to serve in the shadows, we might put it, for the good of the church and the glory of God. And so they chose out these men. And what's interesting, as you look at the list of the men, you'll notice, maybe, that their names are Greek. It speaks to a special sensitivity of those, the, the apostles, to, okay, here's a need expressed by the Grecians, and so we'll do our best to meet that. And so at least the good majority, if not all of them, are Greek in, in their names. And so as the, the Greeks were, the Grecians were the one listed there in verse number one. Now what's interesting, you read that, these men did a great job. The problem and the struggle was faced. It handled well, and the church was better for it. You say, how do we know that? We just read verse 7. Did you catch it? Man, the God blessed. The church moved forward. They were strengthened coming out of this issue and this problem. I think that's encouraging and a great challenge to us even here. Now, what's interesting, one of those seven men, God just had his hand a blessing on them. 
And uh, he began to uh, be used of God in many different ways. He performed miracles. He, he spoke the truth and spiritual things among the Hellenistic Jews. And as he did, he began to garner the attention of the leaders of the Hellenistic synagogue. They began to take notice. Now, who is this guy? We keep hearing his name. What in the world? Who, what is he doing? What are you people listening to? Where did he come from? What's he talking about? You can imagine all the questions that flow. Look with me, if you will, verse number 8. Let's find out about him. Verse number 8, notice what it says. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Verse 9, then there arose certain of the synagogue, that's the synagogue of the Hellenistic Jews, of the Libertines, Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, of them of Sicily and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. We can imagine they took special noticing and began hearing this name, Stephen. Who's this Stephen guy you people keep talking to and, and talking about? Who is this guy? And they begin noticing, man, our people are changing. It's affecting them. And, and honestly, they no doubt, they probably noticed that the crowds of the synagogue were shrinking while the crowds who surrounded Stephen when he spoke and did his wonders grew. They became concerned. Leaders of the synagogue didn't like that, and, and uh, it needed to be dealt with. Verse 8 says what? They disputed with him. Now, here comes one of the first struggles with Stephen and his ministry. Now, let me tell you, I, I think those verses 1 through 7 demonstrate our definition of determination or how you maintain it perfectly, too. Here's a church. They have an issue and a problem. Does it define them? Does it destroy them? Or do they determine to, through the problem, the issue, the struggle, that it's going to strengthen them? And we see a church, verses 1 through 7, that fulfill this definition. I think it's fantastic. Then we come to verse 8, and we're introduced to a gentleman, Stephen, this man full of faith and of wisdom, full of the Holy Ghost. God's using and blessing him. Now he's got struggles because these leaders of the synagogues, these Jewish uh, learned men are now disputing with him. I can just imagine he's speaking to a group of people and they've kind of snuck in the back there, wherever it is, uh, maybe on the countryside, whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden he says something and, and maybe one of them just yells, prove it. What about this? And all of a sudden disrupts the whole thing. And there are people who are thirsty. They want to learn the truth. And they never heard things like this before about Jesus Christ and the Savior, the Messiah, who's already come to earth and died for them. And now these men are trying to tear him down. They're trying to ask questions. What do they do with Jesus Christ? They ask questions they themselves couldn't even answer. So you can be assured these leaders of the, the Jewish faith, the Hellenistic synagogue, would have done much the same thing, trying to trip him up, trying to discredit him, invalidate him in front of the people in their eyes. They're just trying to tear him down. They're trying to get at him and, and trying to, what, through a struggle, destroy him. And my goodness, can I tell you, he faces it. Though I would submit to you that I think Stephen knew that these struggles, these disputings with these leaders would lead to a great future dividend as long as he was determined and he leaned on the Lord. I think Stephen understood this struggle now, these questions, yeah, it's annoying, but the fact is this, God is going to work through this struggle to strengthen not only me, but these people around me. I believe he had that determination, that understanding, and God blessed him. What happens? Their strategies don't work. <laughs> the enemy, it, it doesn't happen, and they decide the false wisdom. In fact, you can look down at verse 10. I love it. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Isn't that a great statement? They weren't able, their disputings accomplished nothing. They were not able to resist. It was much like Jesus Christ did. He kind of put them in their place. And I, I love that statement that they could not, uh, the spirit 
by which he spoke. And I, I just submit to you that I believe the Holy Spirit was working through Stephen, using him in a mighty way to give out the truth to those Hellenistic Jews. Well, they are upset. Their plan didn't work. And so as we understand it and see it, they decide to up their game in a sense. They come and look for false witnesses. They get them to come forward. And as they do, they, and verse 12 says they stir up the people and the elders and, and the others, that, uh, the, uh, their, uh, the scribes against him to the point that they lay hands on him and they bring him before the Sanhedrin. What's the charge? Look with me at verse 11. Notice what they charge him with. Then they suborned men, that's literally gained false witnesses, which said this, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Look at verse 13. And set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. So do you understand what they're saying? Listen, man, this guy has just, he's attacked Moses, he attacked God, he attacked the temple, and, and they really accused him across the board. The struggle, don't miss it, the struggle intensifies for Stephen here. He's brought before the Sanhedrin. Now things are getting serious. Could I submit to you right now that at this moment, Stephen could have walked before the Sanhedrin, and here was an opportunity for him just to say, okay, you know what? Being loyal to God and going forward with this, that's really not worth it at this point. I, I, it's not, uh, just sticking with it is not going to cut it, and I, I don't have to go through this. Uh, and he could have compromised. See, the Sanhedrin would have been very... Um, sympathetic, very, uh, because he was a native, he was a Jew, and they, they would have looked on him and uh, maybe give him, as you might think, uh, they would have been more objective and given him a way out. He probably could have escaped with his life. He may have had a, a, a warning or whatever the case may be. He may have been beaten and then let go. But if he had just compromised a little bit, if he hadn't been so outspoken, if, if he hadn't said what he said in response to their accusations, he could have walked away. But I'm, man, I am thankful for Stephen, who was full of the Holy Ghost, and who kept preaching the Word. Who kept simply saying, you know what, I'm determined. Is this a struggle? Yes! I don't know what lies ahead. I don't know what the outcome of this me being brought before the Sanhedrin is. But I do know this. Man, if I'm faithful in the midst of the struggle through the grace of God working in me and through me, the strength that he affords me, I know this. This will rebound for future achievement and glory for God. That was his attitude. That's what Stephen looked at. Man, you got to love his attitude, his outlook in the midst of this. He literally showed, and don't miss this, he understood, he showed an understanding that the struggles that he was going through that day were essential for the future church. We'll see it in just a moment. He was laying the groundwork in his struggles for God to do great things in the church and in the lives of people. Now, one of the unique customs about the Sanhedrin was this. The officiating high priest would allow the accused to speak on his own behalf. And so they gave him the floor. Man, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Stephen got up there, and what do preachers do? They preach. And so he did. He got up there, and, and literally what he did, first of all, he, he turned it around. <laughs> I would say this. It, it is, if we had time to read, read the sermon in Acts chapter 7, you would find out that his words just speak of determination. 
determination. He, he, he issues and gives forth a stirring, heart-tugging sermon that stretches for 52 verses. And then we come to verse 51, and you talk about a conclusion. My goodness. Notice it, verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, if you will, with me. And notice what it says, verse 51 and following, Acts chapter 7. He brings his sermon to a close, and he says this. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Ouch. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just ones, Jesus Christ, notice that, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Wow. I don't think he said, now let's pray. He left it there. And you talk about conviction hitting these men. He condemned them for the very crimes that they accused him of. Now, I'll tell you this. If you were to read through that sermon, I honestly believe there's some things that Stephen says that I I think he has such a vision and a look ahead that he understood that God was going to do something pretty special in the world in the next few years. He had a glimpse of God's world vision for evangelization. I really believe that. And he probably thought and believed that his struggle would give and work towards that. And so it was. His determination was going to reap much in the future. But in the moment, not so much. They were angry. They were mad. They ran upon him in the hall. They grabbed him and they drug him out of the city. The Bible tells us their hearts were a prick. In fact, at one part of it, it's describing as this. Their hands were over their ears because they didn't want to hear the words of conviction. They did not want to listen what he had to say. What he, man, they were cut to the heart. And so they ran upon him with their hands over their ears, and uh, they cast him outside the city. And as they did, they began picking up rocks to cast at him and stone him to death. And Stephen's struggle ended with his own death. Now, we might sit back and say, well, how, what did that do? What did that accomplish? You say, Pastor Henry, this idea of present struggles are essential for future achievement. How is that possible? I mean, this guy that died in the midst of his struggle. So what was the purpose? What, what did his determination and struggle produce? What was the future achievement that, that Stephen in heaven could look down and he said, Aha, that, that's what I started. My struggle helped to produce that. What was it? Well, we don't have to look very far to garner that, do we? Look at verse 1, if you will, with me. Acts uh, chapter 8 now, verse 1, the very next thing. Notice verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Notice it. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now look down to verse 3, or 4, excuse me. Therefore... They that were scattered abroad went everywhere, everywhere what? Preaching the word. Where did that start? Stephen. His martyrdom. The persecution. Listen, Paul's saying, we'll see there in a moment. Paul's saying there, and boy, it, it just kind of invigorates him for persecution in some ways. And the, uh, the Judaic um, Jews there, man, they are excited about now, let's put away these Christians. Let's, let's do a persecution. And so they're scattered from Jerusalem. And what do we have? <laughs> this is amazing to me if you think about it. His struggle was the door that opened the greatest missionary work the world has ever seen. 
And these next few verses, excuse me, these next few chapters, what we see is an amazing evangelism, uh, evangelization movement that spreads across the known world. And eventually, <laughs> Paul's at the head of the spear. But it all starts, it's all sparked by the death of Stephen. Pretty amazing. But there's more here, isn't there? You say, what else did, what else did that produce? Well, in verse 1, again, what do we read in chapter 8? Well, at verse number 1, uh, it says Saul was consenting to his death. Now, what's interesting, Saul, then Paul, and Stephen are both mentioned in Acts 22 again. Now, listen to this. Interestingly, in Acts 22, it's the very same city, Jerusalem, spoken of. Number two, it is the exact same story that is told in Acts chapter 22 uh, in the sense of the plot. What happens? Well, there is a mob of people, a group of people that are calling for the death of a Christian because of blasphemy. And also, much like this chapter in Acts chapter 22, the accused is allowed to speak. Here's the difference. In Acts chapter 22, the accused is Paul. The story flips. He in that chapter has been caught and brought before and he asked to speak to the crowd and he does so and as he's known as Paul in that time and uh, man, you have to think of it, um, he is the object of their hate now when he participated. I mean, this whole thing is just turned uh, upside down. Same story, same city, same thing happening, just a different person accused is now Paul. And Paul stands up and do you remember what he does? Stephen gave us a great history of the Old Testament. If you read Acts chapter 7, encourage you maybe to do it tonight, tomorrow. He gives us a great history of the Jewish uh, nation and what God did in their midst. But Paul, you know what he does? He shares his own salvation testimony, his own conversion. He tells about how God worked in his heart and his life. You know what he talks about in verse 20 of Acts chapter 22? Here's what he says. He alludes to the fact that Stephen was probably the Christian who had the greatest impact on his life before he came to know Christ. He speaks of being there. He tells him, I was there that day. I stood in agreement with everybody that came out and threw stones. In fact, he says in the midst of that day, I stood by and I held the garments. I was there. As this righteous man died and uh, the martyr for Jesus Christ. You see, I would submit to you that the struggles of Stephen in that moment helped to produce the future achievement of Paul's salvation and every good thing that Paul accomplished for the Lord. Imagine. Which of your struggles this week are going to be the thing that God uses in the life of another to accomplish great things for him? I've heard it said before of Christians and those around them, I don't know how you handled that. I don't know how you went through that struggle. I don't know how you dealt with that boss. I don't know how you dealt with that coworker. I, and you did it in such a gracious way. You did it in such a God-honored way. I, I do not understand how you made it through that. My, what an impact our struggles can have on other people. I believe it did for Paul here. See, watch Stephen. I believe, now listen to me, let me tie it together and we're done. I believe that it was the determination of Stephen throughout the whole ordeal that God used to touch his heart. You know one of the amazing things is this. Okay? Our countenance 
has a unique ability. God created us with a, a very unique ability at times through our countenance to reveal what is in our heart. See, your spouse, your children, you can look at them sometimes and their countenance will reveal. And you'll say to them, hey, what's wrong? Something's wrong. I can tell that something's bothering you. And your countenance has revealed it. Can you know what else your countenance can reveal? Your countenance can often reveal in the midst of a struggle the peace that you have through God. Your attitude and outlook that this, this is, struggle is just a doorway to strength. This, most important in this struggle right now, is the decision that I make. How I face my struggle. In fact, I'm looking at this struggle as being a stepping stone for the future. I think you can communicate that even through your countenance. You say, well, how does that play into here? Turn back with me to Acts chapter 6. Look with me, if you will, one last verse, verse number 15. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 15, they have accused him. The false witnesses have come. It is in the midst of the greatest part of the struggle, the trial of his faith. Look at verse 15. Notice it. <laughs> what a statement. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, may I just interject here, I believe that Saul was there with them. Looking steadfastly on him, Stephen, saw his face as it had been the face of a what? Angel. <laughs> now, there wasn't a whole lot of them that had seen an angel before, but you know what they saw in this Christian? Man, these false, false witnesses are accusing him of things he never did. They're lying about him, and he could be facing death. And look how he looks. He looks like this is a walk in the park. He looks like he has peace. That passes understanding. He looks like somebody who's in the midst of a struggle, but you would never know it looking at his countenance. May I just submit to you that I think that what shone on Stephen's face was that peace and the determination to what? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I think Paul saw it. I think Paul saw that face. It says they all steadfast, they, they took it in. Why is this, well, this guy's different. We've never, there's been guys here before who begged for their life, who tried to excuse themselves and get out of it. Stephen didn't do that. His countenance displayed something completely different. And I believe it touched the heart of Paul. What do I think that Stephen understood in that day? Well, I think he understood the three things we shared with you tonight. First of all, struggles are the doorway to strength. Just take the church, leave out Paul, and my friend, the church was strengthened greatly by the martyrdom of Stephen. Their testimony was strengthened. It sparked the missions movement like never seen before. Number two, my response to struggles in my life is always more important than the struggle itself. The choice that I make. Look at the lives his struggles touched. Look at the missionary onslaught it triggered. And all because he chose, I'm going to just lean on God. I'm going to maintain a determination. Then number three, the struggles of today must be viewed as the stepping stones of tomorrow. You know, Stephen, don't miss it, and we're done. Stephen was the kind of Christian that would gladly die if it would be a stepping stone for the conversion of many, including Paul. He had a determination. So you know what? The present struggles, nothing for the future achievement. It's worth it. I'll go through it. So may I just remind you, what is determination? It's purposing to accomplish God's goal in God's time regardless of the opposition. Stephen had it, determination. It's also, how do we see it maintained? It's maintained by realizing that my present struggles are essential for future achievement. Would you, as we enter into this invitation, would you think right now, what are my struggles? What am I going through? 
The things that are, that are burdening me down, those struggles that I face, and how am I facing them? How am I handling them? Do I have this kind of outlook like Stephen had? And I, I looked at it almost like the, the life of a moth. You know what? These struggles are here to help me, strengthen me, make me better, produce in me a Christ-like character. How are you facing your struggles tonight, Christian? Father, we thank you for your word. We are grateful for it. And what a, what a delightful and challenging testimony we have of, of St. Stephen here. We're grateful for who he is, Father. We're, we're thankful for his heritage and his attitude and his outlook. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to be similarly minded. May we have this attitude of how we ought to look at our struggles as your word teaches us. Father, I don't know all the struggles people are facing. I I know a few, a handful. But Father, I don't know them all, but you do. I pray for my brothers and my sisters tonight that as they face these struggles, and whether it's the youngest or the oldest and all in between, and Father, whether to others it just seems like a minor thing or a major thing, whatever that struggle may be, I, I pray that you would help each one of us to see that those struggles are a doorway to strength. May we understand that the decisions we make, the response to the struggles in our life are much more important than the actual struggle we're going through. Remind us of that this week. And then, Father, I pray that each one of us would see these struggles not as something that's going to defeat me or destroy me, but more importantly, it's a stepping stone for tomorrow. That today's struggles are tomorrow's triumphs. If we will look to you, if we will maintain our determination, and, Father, we'll lean on you for the grace and strength we need. Help each one of us tonight. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. Piano begins to play. We'll take a few moments. Let's do some business with him. Maybe there's a struggle going on in your life.